have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Well, aloha and welcome back to the believer's journey for another week. Um, today we have with us Ken Freeman. And um, in our in the circles that I run around with Ken, uh, a lot of people call him the great Ken Freeman. Oh, God. So I have the great Ken Freeman with me today. And... Um, a lot of you who may know him, if you don't know him, it's also, uh, we, he is famous for the word dude. He calls everybody dude. So he's the dude man. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I'd like to um, welcome, it, it's so nice to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. And it's really been hard to get you here. Your schedule is so, so tight. Yeah. <laughs> and then the pandemic deal, that kind of messed stuff up. So yeah, but we're here. So anyway, uh, today we're going to talk about um, uh, a mess to a, me- to a message. And uh, we're going to talk about those who have been wounded deeply that God really uses greatly. And I think this is going to be really good because it uh, fits in Ken's life and his ministry so, so in a superior way. Um, anyway, let me read about Ken. Let me, let me give you all a, um, an idea who we're have here and um, so you'll see today that Ken he has the ability to connect with uh, people of any group culture or background he lives uh, with a passion to bring people to know Christ um, and to make a deeper and more intimate commitment to Jesus um, something that I, I really revere in people who are in ministry because that really is a, a key factor uh, Ken is the son of an alcoholic mother and an absentee father. His life was filled with abuse and neglect. Despite a horrific childhood, Ken defied all odds with a choice that, could, that changed his life forever, uh, his decision to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Uh, that, with that one choice, Ken's years of mental and physical abuse turned from a useless mess to a powerful message. Ken, say hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've heard that read many, 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 many a time. Um, our, my pastor, CBC, says that God will take broken pieces and make them into masterpieces. You know, we're in a world today with this pandemic. We're in the world today. Now we got masks. We got all kinds of stuff going on. And, uh, you know, a lot of people who grew up in my life, uh, you know, nine stepfathers, 24 different schools, in jail at 15. I was suicidal at 10 and uh, uh, in jail by the time I was 15. First drink of alcohol at nine. So I lived in bars and cars and streets and alleys. So as you read that, there's a big whole picture. Um, uh, I was on Facebook and it said, what's one memory you could have about your grandparents? I have none. Uh, I haven't seen a grandparent since I was probably four years old. So my relatives, aunts, uncle, cousins, I have no concept of any of those. Um, The oldest of eight siblings, and several of them are pretty messed up. Some have their life together. And so I grew up dysfunctional would be a nice word for me. I slept on a floor uh, in my school clothes next to my baby sister's bed. I was probably 10. She was eight. 
And uh, that way when my mom would come in from a bar or a club or working at a bar or club, so we wouldn't get beat up, we'd slip out the back door. So we would hide in a garage, a street, an alley, a park. So that's kind of what we grew up in. And sad part is we were around churches. There were churches everywhere. But nobody knocking on our door. And, uh, and I, of course, I felt like we were the kind of people nobody really wanted in their church. But to be honest with you, we were the kind of people that God, he said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for those who are sick. And so that's what I kind of, anger, hate, uh, fear, uh, self-image, depression, all of that was me. Uh, my hands would shake uncontrollably. Um, 24 different schools, so I got beat up and bullied at home, beat up and bullied at school. I was not athletic. I tell people I had athlete's foot one time. I don't know if that counts. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't very smart, studied all night to make a high F. So I was that kid that nobody, you know, they'd choose teams and nobody wanted us on their team. And so that's kind of what I grew up in. Um, and that's, uh, that's where I'm... So I, my, my hope is, is that people from today that have come from my background, you know, you got to be careful because I dealt with a lot of baggage before I got married. And a lot of people take that baggage into their marriage, into, and their kid, they transfer it to their kids. And so I broke all those chains of divorce. You know, I'll be married married 48 years this year. So I broke the chain of divorce. Uh, I haven't had a drink of alcohol or drugs in well over 50 years. Can I have a beer? Can I drink some wine? The answer is yes. But God literally took that desire away. And I tell people, I just want to be an example, not an excuse for things. And so, you know, God turned my life around. And, and so if you're listening, when you do listen to this, if you've come from that background or you're in that, uh, I'm here to tell you that God can take your mess and make it a message. He can take the test that you're in and turn it into a testimony. He can take defeat and make it into victory. It takes some work, but he can do it. So how old were you when you got married? I was 20. So what did you do to have yourself in a position where you felt like you can get married without the baggage? Well, I ended up, you know, you were sharing, I I ended up uh, moving, uh, leaving my mom. My sister began to run the streets, so I moved to Texas. I was born in Virginia. I just tell people I got to Texas as quick as I could. And I got to Corpus Christi with a stepdad, my two half-brothers. I wanted to take care of them. And uh, he married another woman. She began to beat me up like my mom. So after a few months, I left. I'm not advocating running away, but I did. And I started living with different families, kind of like the Blindside movie. And a family took me in. I lived on their couch. This guy got me to, this football player got me to go to church. I got saved. Well, then I ended up moving to San Antonio. I called my Jesus parents, Malcolm and Johnny Granger. They took me in. I got to live in a camper shoved up in their carport. So they helped me work through some things. Um, you know, God helped me get through some things over the hate from my mom and dad. I was able to find my dad and ask him to forgive me for hating him and my mom. And so I be, my name is free man, but I wasn't very free. And so the more I got rid of the baggage and cut off those backpacks, the freer I became. So um, all, I've always had a job, um, graduated in high school, went to college. So I actually was very involved at Castle Hills First Baptist. It's no longer called that anymore, but 
uh, that's where God took me, and that's where I got a lot of my roots and my faith. And um, met a young lady. She actually she saw me first, I think, because I was up and about, and everybody knew who I was, and uh, very vocal in my faith. And um, yeah, I dated several girls. Um, I probably would have married them all um, because they were good girls. But when I saw her, it was it was I don't know. It was just a God deal. I feel like a God sent. And uh, we began to date a little bit. Now, she came from a strict Southern Baptist, Air Force, military home, and then there's me. Uh, I'm like your hippie at that point. I got long hair, and, and of course, her dad was really concerned about me. And um, uh, But it, it just, you know, I was able to find the right person. Uh, she had had some relationships probably that weren't real good, but um, her and I, spiritually, it, it was a connection. And um, one thing led to the next. And 48 years later, two boys and 10 grandkids. That's amazing. <laughs> That's actually just so wonderful. Well, according to statistics, I should be a wife beater, a child abuser, a drug user, and I ought to be an alcoholic. That's where I was headed. But God took that mess. He saved me. Put me around some incredible people. That's very, very important that you surround yourself with right people. You know, uh, uh, I think it's First Corinthians uh, 15, 34. It says, bad company corrupts good character or good morals. And I think it's Proverbs uh, uh, 18, 24, maybe 24, 18. Um, but in Proverbs, and I believe it's uh, 18, 24, it says that too many friends will ruin a person's life. So your friends will make you or break you. And so as a believer, I changed my friendships, my relationships, and um, it's, you know, God, again, those who have been wounded deeply, Jesus knows what that's all about, God will use greatly. You know, I find it, uh, well, well, since you and I have shared, I've actually watched you a lot when you preach, and, and you're not soft-spoken. Like a lot of people who go through things, and they're healed, they're, a lot of them are real soft. You definitely are no. not. You are harsh, you are strong, and, uh, and I find that incredible. I really like that. I have friends who, have, who are soft-spoken, and sometimes it's like... <laughs> you like want to shake them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you are definitely are, are not, and uh, I appreciate that. Well, I used to be an introvert. I used to be a loner. Was it First Timothy 1.7 says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And so I believe God gives... You know, even Paul in Ephesians 6... Around verse 19 20, he said, pray that I might speak boldly. And so I believe as believers that we, ought, we have the boldness of Christ in our life. We have the power and the strength. And so, God, you know, like I say, I used to be shy. That, that went away. And uh, I just want to be a good voice um, for the Lord Jesus. I want to be a good vessel and a good instrument. What I find incredible, because I went through not as, and I was about to say earlier, because we've shared I've not gone through to the depth and length that you have, but I have some similar some similarities in my life. Or, or I left home at a young age, and, and if it wasn't for a family that took me in lawn and Diane Eckhall, you know, I didn't know what a home was like. You know, I, I just, it was very different. It was, I had an absentee mom. She was working or she was gone. And this changed me. But, you know, one thing that I really have to credit it to because I got on the right path, but my heart wasn't on the right path. I understand. 
I went to college to become a minister. I, I actually was a youth pastor for six years and went through all this. But it wasn't until I was 30, 31, okay, so I went through all of this. I had degrees, everything, that I finally realized I'm dishonoring God by dishonoring my mom. So my question to you is, did you have a point in your life where you were able to confront your parents? February 7th, 1970, 1102 Melissa Drive, San Antonio, Texas. Um, came in one night. I drank a beer and smoked a cigarette. Um, that's just what I, my go-to. I hadn't been saved but a little over two years or so. And I knew I didn't need that stuff. So I came in one night, and I said to Malcolm and Johnny, they're my Jesus parents, I said, why is it when I see families, why is it when I, especially dads and their sons, I want to drink or smoke or put my fist to the wall? And Malcolm looked at me, and I won't ever forget, and he said, do you love your mom and dad? And I said, if my parents walked through the front door and I owned a pistol, I said, I'd probably blow the brains out. I, I've never hated anybody more. And Malcolm always would take me to Scripture. And I think that's got to be your standard, your basis, your values. And Colossians 3, and it's verse uh, 12 and 13, it's, he, he shared it with me. He said that we're to forgive others as Christ forgave us. And so, man, it hit me. So February 7th, 1970, probably 11 o'clock at night, they'd been praying over me. I'd been crying. Um, so I said, God, would you give me a love for my mom and dad? And, um, and he did. And so I called my mom. My mom answered the phone that night. She was a little drunk. There was a difference being wasted and drunk. She was just a little. She made some coffee, and I could tell she was sobering up. And I said, hey, listen. Because, see, I lived with her for a couple months after I was saved before I came to San Antonio. And I wasn't a very good example as a believer. I was a young believer. I didn't run into any other really strong believers. And I said, Mom, I'm, I'm a Christian. I wasn't a very good one when I was there. I said, I want you to know that I've hated you for a long time. And uh, I want you to know that God's given me a love for you. Would you forgive me for hating you? Now, her response was, well, shouldn't I be asking you? And I said, Mom, I'm not worried about that part. That's, that, that's your deal. My deal is, I want you to know that God's given me a love for you. Would you forgive me? And she did. And I was able for 14 years, I mean, she wasn't sober very much. Uh, she died an alcoholic at 52. But for 14 years, I was able to love on her. And she saw my life change, but she never, never made that choice. I called my dad that night. Now, I hadn't seen my dad in 16 years since I was four. And now I'm almost 20. And so the operator gets I get the operator, and she said, well, sir, the number's unlisted. I could put you through, but if I do, I could get in trouble. Now, I tell people don't do this, but I did it. So I shared some of my story, and I said, ma'am, if you don't put me through to my dad, I said, God might hurt you. (laughs) That's all I had. And um, she put me through. She put me through. My dad answered. I didn't know who it was. And I said, I'm looking for James Freeman. He said, you got him. I said, I'm Kenneth Wayne Freeman. Evidently, I'm your firstborn. And he said, what do you want? And I said, I don't want your money. Uh, I said, what I really would like, a couple things. One, I'd love to meet you again. I'd love to try to have some kind of a fellowship or relationship with you. But more importantly, I'm a Christian. And I said, I just talked to mom, and um, I've hated you for a long time. And I just want you to know that uh, I'm sorry for that. Would you forgive me for hating you? Now, you don't ever look for the response. You don't ever look, and he hung up on me, Mm -hmm. but I was free. I was free. 
And so um, he wrote me a letter about three weeks later. I kept the pictures. I, sh- I didn't keep the letter. Just It just said, <clears throat> Ken, you're not mine. You're not my son. I'm not your dad. He said, stay out of my life. So I did. But I was okay. I, I loved him, prayed for him. Um, during that time, I got married, kids, ministry, got into ministry. And in, <clears throat> and in 1998, I found out where he was. And I flew to San Francisco. Never dreamed this would ever happen. And uh, landed in San Francisco with my my wife, excuse me, and my oldest son. Drove to San Leandro, California, about 45 minutes from San Francisco. Knocked on a door. This woman opened up the door. There stood my dad. Now, this is 28 years later. Uh, Last, any contact we have was in 1970 now we're in 1998 and I walked up to him and I I really think he wanted me to slug him shove him do something and I put my arms around him and I said dad you know 28 years ago you you wrote me a pretty tough letter and said you're not my dad I'm not your son and I said last time I saw him I was four and I'm 46 I said 42 years ago you walked out on me and so here's how you know if you forgive and I said hey put my arms around him said you're my dad Distant can't change that. 28 years can't change that. 42 years, you're still my dad. And he started crying. He just started weeping. So I sat, I told him my story. It took me about 10 hours throughout the day. I told him my story. Um, I had to leave the next day, so I hugged him, and I said, I'm going to stay in touch. His wife of 47 years walked me out. She says, I've never seen your dad cry for anything or anybody. He was a Navy man, military man. And so for the next, uh, from 98 to 2004, I sent him cards, I birthday. I never got anything back, but, but I was free from all that. And um, he got cancer um, in 2004, 78 years old, and uh, they gave him five months to live. I, I flew to see him one more time. And on June 1st, um, I led my 78-year-old dad to the Lord. He prayed to receive Christ. And I wish I would have videoed. I don't even know if I had a video camera, but he said three things to me. He said, I've never had more peace right now. And they gave him five months to live. And he said, if this is what being saved is, he said, I want to say thank you. And then he said, I bet you would have been a great son. But then he said this, I've been wanting to tell you for six years that I'm sorry. And it wasn't five months, 12 days later, he passed away. So I worked through all that. And uh, as believers... You know, we, he says to forgive, what, 70 times 7? Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that number is. Don't even want to know. But when we forgive others, um, we walk in freedom. Unforgiveness, you've heard it. Unforgiveness is like drinking a bottle of poison, hoping you're drinking the bottle of poison, hoping that the person you need to forgive is going to die, but you're the one killing yourself. Right. And so, so that's, uh, that's how that went down. That, that's really a, an amazing story. I know that one of the things that I learned when I lived with uh, the pastor and his wife is about restitution. Because I did things to people, I did things in life that, uh, you know, no people shouldn't do. And so I was taught that even though I'm forgiven, I need to go and, and make restitution with the people that I've hurt. Something you said... Uh, 
several times in your story, you said that you didn't have a father, that God was your father. Yes. Now, I, I totally can relate to that. But for our people watching, talk about that a little bit. Because I know there are people out there that are really hurting, that really do have that emptiness. And you really put that together so well. 38 million kids in America. This was on CNN News years ago. But 38 million kids in America have no idea where their real father is. 19 million kids in America, so the numbers have probably changed, have never seen their real dad. Um, Psalms 27.10, I want to make sure I got it right. If my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Basically, he said, I'm going to be your daddy. If you read Psalms, and I believe this is Psalm 68, Psalm 65, verse 8, says this. Uh, excuse me. Psalm 68, 5. Psalm 68, 5. Father, he said, I'll be the father to the fatherless. So here's, here's the situation. Where I was at, how could a heavenly father love me when my earthly, earthly father didn't want me? And so it's hard for people like us to receive his love if our own dad didn't want us. And so that's so it's a lot harder. So I tell people that you got a daddy. I mean, Jesus is Jesus wants to be that father in your life, wants to be that savior in your life. So I came to a point where I realized I've always had a dad, um, but it took me to become a Christian to understand all that. That he, um, that he loves me, even though my mom and dad forsake me. He says, I'll never abandon you. I'll never forsake you. He said, I'll be the father to the fatherless. And so I encourage people to, to understand that no matter what happens here with your earthly father, your heavenly father cares about you more than anybody. And he loves you and you cling to him. And so I just came to a point where um, I believed um, that God was going to be that I tell him he's the only daddy I've really ever had now I had I call Malcolm and Johnny I call them my Jesus parents because they actually were great examples of Christ they had two boys and you know they had their stuff going on but those two showed me what a home was a house has walls doors windows but a home a real home is built on faith and love kindness truth sometimes a tough love and so Malcolm and Johnny showed me that, and um, it was it was an incredible deal. So a lot of people struggle with this father thing because of their earthly deal. But you've got if once Jesus becomes that Lord of your life, the Savior of your life, once you understand who He is, you're able to make things better this way. Verti I guess that would be vertically, yes. horizontally. Horizontally. So when vertically it's right, I'm, I didn't. Uh, I took related math. Related to nothing I needed for, and so when we're when we're right this way with God, then horizontally things, our relationships, our friendships, uh, are going to change. Yeah, but uh, Lon Ekdahl and Diane Ekdahl are my what I I don't call them my Jesus parents. I call them my sur surrogate parents. Sure, sure. So same kind of thing, and um, and I check with them all the time still. Yeah, uh, my my father. Um, he actually came around, and it was really good. We developed this neat relationship, and then he came to live with me for the last uh, year of his life, building a house for me, and then he fell uh, from the second story and, and, and died. That was real hard because I was just sure. becoming – he was just becoming my friend. 
Right. And I never had that, and it was just kind of cool. But um, it's it's really kind of neat. My, my mom is now actually staying with me in, in my home uh, today. She's okay. there for, for, for wow. a couple months. So it's kind of interesting. I had a when we built our house, we built it with a room downstairs so that she can she doesn't have to go upstairs. That would be too hard for her. So parental, you know, parental um, relationships are are not easy, but yet they're so important. Yeah. And I, and I think that when when the Bible talks about honoring your father and mother, you know, it, it's more than just you know obeying them as a child. In fact, I think that's the minimal part. You right. Know, when you take care of them as they're older, if you honor them as you uh, honor God, then God blesses you in your life. And I think that's so important for people who are believers to understand. You know. Well, and what does he say? Um, is it right here? Children, obey your parents because you, you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. This is Ephesians 6, uh, 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And I love this next line. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life. There you go. <laughs> so if you want to live right. And again, your parents are not always right. Now I pause because kids are going to clap. <laughs> but don't forget, they're still your parents. Yeah. You know, I didn't do everything right with my boys. Uh, there were just... There were things, uh, and every now and then I would ask my boys, you know, how am I doing as a dad? And uh, so they'd kind of let me know. And sometimes I just didn't do it right. But they knew I loved them. They knew, um, they knew I cared for them, would give anything to them. Yeah, I know that um, as, as when I worked as an associate pastor in, in churches, uh, unfortunately, I guess, I, didn't, I never wanted the job of counseling. Um, but there were a few people that would come in my office and then they would blame their life. They were, I mean, these people are 30, 35, 40 years mm -hmm. old and they would blame their life on, Oh, it was my parents fault because of the way they raised me. Of course I get really upset. I says, you know, you're, you're an adult. It's nothing to do with your parents. You need to get right with God so that you can make this decisions. You've already made your own decisions as sure. an adult. And yet too many people blame their parents. Well, and I say this, and because I was a student pastor, I was a worship leader, associate pastor. I worked before I went into evangelism, which I do now. Um, I worked, served in several churches, and I, I just wasn't a good fit. I mean, I love the church, but I just wasn't a good fit for that. Just too much, and so the evangelism. But here's what I, when I speak in public schools, I've done choices101.com is for my school assemblies. And uh, principals can go there. I'm getting ready to go to Mexico and probably get in a few schools there. We may do some different types of social distancing, but distancing, but they'll let me speak. But here's what I tell students, and this is not correct English. So, but as long as you blame somebody, you ain't ever going to be anybody. You know, mm -hmm. and and I want to be careful. I know we got a lot of political things going on, but that's kind of the that's what's happening a lot of times. They want to blame each other. For where we are, you know, if you'd have done this, if you'd have done that. Now, we need to quit taking blaming and take responsibility and do something. Do something about it. You know, it's interesting. I, I just um, got a new computer recently, so I have to put on a program. It's called Dragon uh, Speaking or uh, where you dictate and it prints, types for right. you. So I'm having to get have the program get used to my voice and, and what I say. So I'm going through a half hour of, 
of uh, reading a whole stuff about becoming successful. Right. And the whole thing about becoming successful in life had a lot to do with owning responsibility, don't give excuses. It's not even a Christian thing. It's just all about, well, you know, if you want to be successful in life, you know, own your own thing. Be responsible. Don't give excuses. I'm, I'm thinking about this. Wow, this is secular. And well, and I tell people, if anybody needed a reason to be atheist or agnostic, if anybody needed an excuse or a reason to to hate or to flip God off or to hate God, I got all the reasons you need or excuses you know, an excuse is, is, is the, uh, I, I can't remember who said this. I think it was Billy Sunday. An excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And as long as you've got an excuse, yeah, you're, you're never going to make a difference. You'll yeah. never, you know, you look at all these athletes who grew up without dads and they had their moms. You look at um, uh, Kawhi Leonard, and uh, of course I'm, I don't like where he is now, but that's another story. He, he left the Spurs, but Kawhi Leonard, look how successful he's been, and he was raised by his sisters. And so he had every reason to go off and do whatever, but he made something out of his life. Yeah. And so you look at that, and so blame game will never work. It, it really never does. It, it, I think what it does is it, it, it keeps you in a failure position. You know, and I think it doesn't matter in, in what area you're in. Agreed. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to read something here because you brought out you've been in the ministry. I, I want to read uh, what we have. I want uh, people to know, and we're going to talk about this. Okay. Okay. So you've um, you've traveled throughout the United States and Canada. So have you also traveled to Mexico so far? I've been to Mexico. I've been to Brazil. Uh, I'm on the board of a ministry in Kenya, Africa, Mombasa, uh, and I've been to. Um, Oh, I've been, uh, I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, so I've been several places. Went to Canada several times. Um, oh God, I just went blank. Um, I've been to Turkey, and then uh, there's another place right next to Turkey, and I can't even think of it. So, so you've gone to these places uh, speaking and teaching your message for the last 30 years now, right? Actually, this is my 38th year to travel full-time on the road. Mm -hmm. So I've been in ministry probably well over that, but traveling, this will be 38 years. And you've been a youth minister for 12 years? I was a youth student pastor probably 10, 12 years. Well, in that, when I say I was a youth pastor, music pastor, and associate pastor, sometimes all of the above. Sometimes it was a youth music deal. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I... So you played instrument? None. <laughs> Just sang. There you go. Just sang. And so I would use my inst- – the people that played, I would use them. And they actually helped me. But, uh, no, play no instruments. And so what I've read also is that you've also been a, uh, an evangelist now for 25 years? No, no. This, that would be the 38. 38? 38 okay. years. So – so 38 years in advance, so it's over 40 some, 48 years, 50 years I've been in ministry, but 38 have been on the road, 280, 300 days out of the year before the pandemic. I've done 20,000 school assemblies. That's a real number. Um, so there you go. Yeah, what I have here is you have had over 200,000 decisions for Christ. Probably more than that, but that's a good number. And... Uh, and one which is your father. You've uh, you've also been in over three thousand churches at least. You've written two books, three books, three books. I have my first book, Rescued by the Cross, uh, was with the publisher that I didn't like what they were doing. 
So I walked away. They wouldn't give me my rights to it. So I wrote two other books. One is called Choices 101. The other is called Toilet Bowl Christianity. And those two books, you, you can go, you can, you can get them probably in bookstores anywhere. But I, most of the time I sell those books in churches and different places like that. So I've written three. Can you go to your website and find those books? Uh, you can. Yeah, yeah. You can go to KenFreeman.com. Okay. So if you go to uh, our website and you find under guests and you see the uh, link there and it has your logo, Ken Freeman, and it goes to KenFreeman.com, you can find the books right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And you can go to his ministry as well as his website. Yeah, if you right go to KenFreeman.com, it's got my bio. It's got everything. Okay. So um, also, it says here, one thing for certain, that God has given you a passion for the lost and the brokenhearted. And uh, and I, I can see that it's totally evident as it radiates from you. And I think that's a, a really cool thing to have. I understand there's people out there that preach a sermon or evangelize, but you can feel it when you're around you. All right, well, I appreciate You know, uh, Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And, you know, bottom line is um, he came for sick people, not the well people. I mean, he, he, he loves them, but he came more to help people that are downtrodden that are kind of beaten up that are kind of rejected you look at the people that he touched lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors yeah. i mean he touched all these people that nobody wanted to touch and so for me uh, i love seeing people saved and i love seeing saved people restored you know we got a lot of people that have lost the you know when david messed up with bathsheba he didn't lose his salvation. The Bible says in Psalms 51, that was his prayer. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He lost that joy. And he said, restore to me the joy so that sinners will be converted again. And so Jesus is about joy. Happiness happiness is about happenings. If I want you to be happy, I'll give you $1,000. You're going to be happy. But Jesus is about joy. And not all the time in the midst of serving God is, you know, joy is not a feeling. Joy is is, a, is part of the fruit. Mm-hmm. And so in the midst of, you know, we're going to go through stuff. Um, right now what we're going through, this pandemic, um, uh, was it James 1, 2 says, Consider it all pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And the key is when. We're all in the when right now. Right now everybody is suffering some form, some fashion, some way, whether they, they're getting unemployment, they, they, they lost their jobs, or they're just trying to figure stuff out. Then you've got those that are sick, those that are going. So we're in a win situation. He says, considered all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance. And here's what I tell people. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Yeah, in fact, um, it's so important. Now, you and I are on two sides of a fence. Uh, I think we talked about it at lunch one time. You seem to bring people in. I do. And I seem to teach those that are in. Oh, yeah. And that's important. Yeah. Because I, what I have the problem with is when people go around and they get somebody saved, they leave them alone, they go somewhere else, get them saved, leave them alone. And all these people who have, quote, unquote, been saved, there's, there's no forward going because there's no one there. Here's what I tell pastors when I go to a church. I tell them that I'm, I, am the, I am the OB. I get to spiritually birth people into the kingdom. 
Well, you don't need the OB after the baby's born, but you do need the pediatricians. Right. And that's where the church, and I try to encourage pastors after I leave, man, you guys got to follow up on this. These people are going to need you. They're going to need, you know, they need to be baptized. They need to understand, they need to get in a Sunday school or a Bible study, something to where they're going to grow, where they're going to grow in their faith. And so I basically say I'm the OB and and you're the pediatrician. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. When, during this pandemic, I don't know if you've seen the, the memes out there about uh, the thing about not going to church. Right. And oh, I have. There's, there's one that really started to irritate me. And I think it said that uh, certain states or this and that are stopping us from uh, worshiping God. And I, I think I got so angry about it. I says, you know, if if going to a church, singing your song, listening to a sermon, and walking away is your, your idea of worshiping God, then you've missed the whole boat because it's all about a relationship that you have individually in your life every day. Worship is your life. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. It's your gift to him. And I think they've got it messed up. So I wrote this big, long thing to a bunch of people one time right. <laughs> just, just to blast them. Because, you know, it's it's like we're talking about – and in the end days, there's so many prophecies about stuff like this, about non this nonchalant idea of what Jesus is or right. worship is or church is. And I think we've lost it. We need to get back into Ephesians 4 and realize yeah. we need to be together, uplift, pray for – you know, bonds so that sure. we are the, the assembly. And one thing I said to them, you know, I assemble every week on my Zoom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I did some Zoom meetings during this time, and I've done Bible studies online. Uh, there, there's several ministries that have asked me to do some Zoom meetings with their team or their leadership. So, yeah, there's all kinds of ways. Now, do I want to go back to church? I, I love going to church. Yeah. I love the fellowship. But... Church is when I wake up. Church starts. And, you know, you got the little C. Those are our churches. you got the little Cs. But the big C is the body of Christ. Right. And we need to be more concerned about the body. Now, I'm not saying don't, don't not go to church, but I'm saying you have to understand that the big C, the, big, the body of Christ, we need each other now more than we've ever needed each other. And I think... You probably understand this more than a lot of people. I understand this because I've been overseas and I've been with the church there. And because I've been there, I understand it's not in my city or state or country. It's all over the world. And when they're hurting, I need to be part of that. They need to know that. And I think you have that same because you work with people all around the world. It's, you know, and here's here's what I tell people, what I've learned about overseas is you cannot be a weak, wimpy believer overseas. In other countries, you got to be strong. Yeah. I mean, they're losing their lives. You, you talk about they're losing everything. And for us, you know, this pandemic, you, you'd think that it was the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. I mean, I still got food in my deal. I still got water, got extra toilet paper. I'm, I'm doing great. But the bottom line is I really think if people – for me to go overseas and see – I have a little girl, her name is Grace, that I sponsor her, and I was able to meet her family. It's just unreal what they have. But you could see the love in that home, the love in that, and this is what Real for Christ has done, meeting these Muslims coming to Christ. It's, it's amazing. So you're, you're right. I tell people, 
when you see what Jesus sees, you're going to feel what Jesus feels. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. On on this show, uh, and I don't know how many people know this. I don't know if you can even look at my stats, but I'm realizing that, for example, this last video I just did, I'm doing a series on uh, becoming like Jesus. And so the last video I checked on see where people were watching. And I noticed in Kisnow in, in Moldova, almost 800 people watched my video. Wow. And about 1,000 in, in Moldova, and about four to 5,000 all in Eastern Europe. Wow. And you're talking about Ukraine, Romania, right. Rus- Russia. Right. You know, and uh, it, it's just totally amazing the people that, are, that need Jesus. You know, and, and I'm not easy. I, I, I believe that, you know, you know, when you say you believe, you're not sitting there just thinking God's there. You're actually getting up and doing what he tells you sure. to do. No, I agree. And uh, so I'm not an easy guy to think that oh, it's all about being easy about it, you know. So um, now let's talk a little bit about something that you have here about, um, about people in the Bible. I, I really decided when we talked earlier um, that I wanted to look at people who have been wounded, who have hurt, that we may just pass over. You brought up David. And I don't know if a lot of people, you know, how much they read their scripture, but, you know, David lived in exile for at least 13 years. He ran for his life. Yeah. And uh, he lived with the, the Philistines that he didn't want to do. And, and there's a part of that his life that he didn't even write any psalms. That it was just like a avoid right well then you also was it joseph and his brothers um and by the way the but god deal i'm wearing that shirt today hashtag but god there's a lot of but gods and the very first but god is about joseph yeah because after he's buried dead now this is to me comical because his dad dies and his brothers go to joseph and say hey listen before dad died before you got here dad told us to tell you not to hurt us And you know what Joseph did? Joseph began to weep. Yeah. And here's what he said. This is the first one. He said, what you meant for bad, but God meant for good. You look at Paul, John the Baptist. Yeah. I mean, John the Baptist lost his head. I mean, you look at people in scriptures. I mean, Paul definitely went through it. He was almost better off being lost. Well, I have here. <laughs> I don't believe that, but <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Paul lived with rejection. Yes, he lived in suffering. Yes, he lived as a prisoner and in persecution. And back then, when they talk about persecution in the Bible, they didn't say they didn't. We're not talking about ha ha ha. You're a Christian. No, he ha, got ha, beat. Ha, you're wearing glasses. No, this was persecution. As he, you're really being, you know, tortured. Well, and in Philippians, he's telling us in Philippians, rejoice. I say again, rejoice. Shouldn't I be telling you? Yeah. But he's telling me, in jail, he's telling me, man, just rejoice. And Joseph is probably my favorite character in the Bible. Okay. And Joseph, basically, he lived with rejection. His brothers rejected him before they even sold him. Yeah. They made, you know, they totally rejected him before. Then they sell him into slavery. Yeah. Talk about rejection. Yeah. Then he lives as a prisoner for a multitude of years. Yeah. And then he lives as a servant. Even when he became the number two guy in, in Egypt, he was a servant to Pharaoh. Yeah. He was a servant. So all his life. And however, the Bible says over and over again that people saw, the 
Potiphar saw, that Pharaoh saw, that God was with him, and he was blessed. He was a dreamer. You know, you, you know, and I, I just thought about David and Goliath. I've done a whole deal with that. You know, the interesting thing about David, he was the smallest. He was the youngest. He was a shepherd boy. He played a harp. He was handsome. He was everything that a warrior wouldn't look like. And so when Samuel was going to come to, to bless, he goes to about seven of, 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 of the sons. And finally, he says, is, is that all you got? Oh, no, no, we got this little dude over here. He's a shepherd boy. You know what I've learned about that story, what's amazing to me? Nobody believed in him, not even his own dad. Yeah. Nobody believed in him except God. And the bottom line is, and we all got giants in our life, but Goliath wasn't his giant. It was his family. It was his brothers. They were jealous. Yeah. Saul, trying to put on, on armor that wouldn't fit him. You. His giants were way before his age. You're the youngest. You're the smallest. You're a shepherd boy. And so the bottom line, you may be, yeah, and you have to understand as we look at Scripture, the people, those who have been wounded deeply, God will use greatly. Hashtag but God. And no matter your situation, God can take the mess, make it a message. He can take that situation and make it a hashtag but God. All the time. Yeah. And even, you know, I think it's important that as we are hurt or going through the stuff, like David, for example, as he is in exile, um, in in the story, it's really cool. He would live with his 400 guys up in the, in the mountains, and they would send guys down to get food from the cities or the towns, and they would give food for them because they knew who, these, who David was going to be. They yep. knew all this. And there's a story in there that he went down. They sent the guys down there to get some food. And a guy, Nabal, his name was Nabal, Nabal. He says, no way are we giving you food. And sent back that word to David. And David got so angry, he came down to kill him. He was that angry. And what happened was Nabal's wife, whose name Abigail, said, you fool. <laughs> Don't you know what you've done? Gathers a bunch of food, meets up to make sure she has a new David was coming down, meets up with David and said, here's a fool. Do not kill. I want to kill this guy. He says, no, you are the chosen. You are the anointed one. Wow. You do not want blood on your hands. Right. And David did not go down to kill him. However, the guy had a stroke and died 10 days later. Wow. And then David ended up marrying. Where is that found? Tell me where that's found. Do you know? It's in Kings. Okay, I want to look it up. Yeah. See, here's the deal with me. I'm a very simple preacher. Um, and my son, he's a pastor. I mean, he's gone to seminary and all that. I, I went to a couple of years of college, finished high school. Um, experience is a great teacher, and I have nothing against education. But for me, when I need to know some history or different things, I call my son. Yeah. And we kind of help each other. But it, there's so much, even in the Old Testament, you know, that you can take and put it into today's living. And yeah. people don't know that. So, well, but and, and you know, I'm going to look that up. I've said this on, on other, another show that I believe the Bible has answers for any and every situation in life. No, no, I agree. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Marriage, raising your kids, money, job, success, freedom. I mean, it's it's all right it's there. All there. It's all there. 
business. Yeah. It's all there. You know, and, and Susan and I, you know, we started this business. We bought a business from her father, and we started this business. And I have no idea how to run a business. I'm a pastor. I'm, right. I'm a Bible teacher, basically. So we start this business. Well, I don't know what I'm doing. So all I did was I do know principles in the Scripture. So I just took the principles that I know that are there, right. applied them to the business, and God blessed it. And that's basically, yeah. it's there. It's all about integrity. It's all about following God's it lead. Is. It is. And I think that's so important. Now, there's also some not historical people who are not biblical figures that I thought were interesting, like Martin Luther. Yeah. Martin Luther sets up the, the, the 95 Thesis, and when he did that, the Catholic Church went after him to kill him. So he had to go into exile. <laughs> he went persecution. Abraham Lincoln, and a lot of people don't realize how lonely this man was. And how much he lived, you know, with rejection. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He really did. It, it was, it, it's really sad, you know, but the guy was an amazing, amazing man. And then you have a guy we have today. Uh, his name is Nick Wojcik. Oh, yeah, yeah. Born without legs or He's arms. He's been to our church, I think. He has. Community Bible. He has. And he went through life, wanted to commit suicide, all these things as a He's kid. He's married, got kids. Got, amazing. God is blessing him. He is a voice for Jesus. I mean, you, yeah, you, yeah. So, you know, like I say, it's a hashtag but God. You know, I lost a grandson seven years ago. He died with leukemia. Hashtag but God. His brother was in a horrible wreck. Uh, Caleb, you go to pray for Caleb Freeman on Facebook. Uh, He had a brain injury, should have died. Um, they said he'll never walk. We said, but God. He'll never eat, but God. He'll never go to school, but God. He'll never walk. And now he's a, he's a freshman at college. Now, he's not completely healed, but he's walking without a walker. He rides a bike. He even drives a golf cart. That's close. We're going to get to driving right now. Um, but he's, he's, he's speaking all over with my son. Uh, they, they, this summer they spoke 15 different times in different smaller venues and so, you know, we've been through it. We, I lost a grandson. I'd give anything to have him back. Almost lost another one. And, um, you know, God's faithful. And that's the bottom line. Now, I've, I knew the story of Caleb and what happened. And I've listened to him come when he came to our church and spoke. And for all of you watching this, you really need to look this up. Caleb Freeman or look up hashtag but God. And you might even have a link from your website, don't you? It may be there, yeah. If, if you go to CalebFreeman.com or just Caleb Freeman on Facebook, you can follow the whole story. The story is amazing. It is totally an, a, a miracle in today's world that you want to see. He had a 10% chance he'd, that he'd live and a 90% chance that if he did live, he'd be of no value. Well, he yeah. blew that out of the water. He's got a great sense of humor. Oh, my goodness. He, <laughs> he, he used to be an introvert, used to be shy. If, you, if I put a microphone in front of him, he would walk away. Now we can't get the mic out of his hand. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So I just think that God, we as a, a people, we human-type people, we Christian-type people, really don't give God enough credit for what he is and what he can do. Amen. We really don't, and and, um, and I like the title of the Believer's Journey. I like that. I like that title because you know we were talking. It's not a hundred yard dash; it's a marathon, and we are on a journey. And by the way, we just passing through. This ain't my home. Uh, I can't wait to get home, which is heaven. But while I'm going through, while I'm here, 
I'm going to try to win as many people to Jesus as I can. And I'm trying to disciple as many as I can. See, well, <laughs> you got to have each other. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Um, we need each other. I was asked when I went back to to go back to Moldova this December, which unfortunately we won't be able to do. Um, I was asked to teach on the end times. And so the more and more I'm thinking about that, the more I'm now rearranging things in my study. I have uh, one of the missionaries that are out there he keeps asking me, can you send me your stuff? Well, I can't right now because I'm, I'm revamping things. And so, um, but, you know, God is, God is a, an amazing guy. Amen. I, I really do. I, I like, I wrote down some scriptures that I think it's important that people um, can hold on to. Okay. And I want to read a couple of them. Okay. Uh, one of them is in 1 John 5, 4. Okay. And it says, for everyone born of God yes. overcomes the world. Overcomers. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And, you know, we don't, for the most part, in, in, at least in the United States, maybe all over the world, we don't have as many people singing hymns as we used to. Sure. You know, a lot of it's a lot of the uh, worship music. Right. But, you know, some of our hymns are amazing. Faith is a victory. There is. There you is. Know? And I think that it's good to go back to them because there's some good theology in some there of these, is. these hymns. And it goes right back to Scripture. Romans 8.37 says that we're more than conquerors. Yeah. So, And um, in, in Psalm 3.8, it says here, from the Lord comes deliverance. You know, I think that so many people, I have a friend of mine who she was going through a lot of problems. And she kept going through her problems from one problem to the next problem, mm -hmm. trying to find an out to the next problem. Of course, bringing the baggage with her. And she came to me and cried, and she says, Alan, how, how can I find happiness? And the problem was she left her original problem, which she never should have left, and I said, you need to go back there and take care of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it is, we, we just keep on going, and we don't want to take care. We want to, don't want to go back. And I think what Jesus, or the whole Bible, teaches us is that when we talk about in the beginning, that restoration, and if we don't find victory in him, you know, we're definitely not going to find it in ourselves. But victory is in him, and he promises it. Yeah, what is it? Romans eight thirty one. it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Exactly. God's for us. Yeah. You know, Jesus said, and I've read this. In fact, I talked about this scripture in another show of mine. And it's in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30. And I thought about this was so perfect for this show. And Jesus is talking. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, light. you know I I, uh, I share this illustration every once in a while it's like this guy walking down the street and he's got this big bag of stuff he carries on his shoulder right, right. a truck comes along and says hey would you like a ride you know and the guy says well I don't want to burden you that's okay you know it's, just, it's easy just come in the truck and you'll be fine so the guy says okay he gets into the truck with his big old bag, and he's sitting in the front seat. And the driver says to him, 
well, why don't you just put your bag in the in the back of the truck? That way you don't have to be loaded down with it. Oh, that's okay. I wouldn't want to burden you. And this is what we do to Jesus. We carry our crap. Mm. Yeah, we carry yeah. our junk. Yeah. And instead of giving it to him, we carry it. And and then we wonder why there's there's the lack of healing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, it's just like the footprint deals, you know, where there's two sets of footprints. And then all of a sudden there's one. And, and I love that. It's the same thing because the times that you were doing it on your own, I was walking beside you. But when you decided to let me be a part of your life, I carried you. And so uh, I think that's a great example, too, about the burden. And yeah. uh, Well, not only that, you know, and I think sometimes it's, well, when Jesus says, you know, my yoke, when he says that, you know, he has a yoke, he is the yoke, we we really don't have a good definition sometimes, of, or we aren't given a good definition of what the yoke is. And actually, the way I explain it is that a yoke is a guidance system. So when we are explaining a yoke is put on an oxen, and right. younger oxen, and they run down the furrows. So it's it's a system given to two, one older and one younger, you know, to guide them down the furrow. So Jesus is saying here, you know, take my yoke, take my guidance. That's a good word. Okay, upon you and learn from me. Good word, good word. You know, and what I think that happens is people get messed up because of poor teaching or no teaching or they're left alone. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Right. You know, give me your stuff. Take on my guidance. It's going to be easy. Mm. And we have been taught, Ken, when I grew up in the, I didn't grow up in the church, but when I started going to church, I kept hearing Christianity is hard. And then I read this, and Jesus says it's easy. And we're, we're being fed a, a bunch of garbage. When Jesus says it's easy, what, what makes it easy? What makes it easy is that he takes my stuff he guides me as long as I entrust my life into his hands. Sure. And there's, a, there's the picture right there. Agree. And I, and I think when, when we come in, in, your, in your world about people being brokenhearted and hurt, the, the victory, the things that build us up in your life, in the lives that you talk to, you know, the thousands of people... Where is it at? It's all in. It's all encompassed in Galatians two twenty was one of the first scriptures. Um, For I am crucified with Christ, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You look at Colossians uh, one twenty seven, Christ in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. First John four four, greater is He that is in you than He. And so we need to understand who Jesus is, and He lives in you. And he breathes through you. He wants to love through you. But he wants all of you. Yeah. you. You know the old statement. If he's not Lord of all, he ain't Lord at all. Yeah. He wants the whole, the whole package. And, and I think that for a lot of people, you know, I, I teach this a lot about their, people's idea of what God is like. And for a lot of people, God is a, a great big giant Santa Claus, <laughs> with a, or with a big old beard with a hammer. Oh, with a, yeah, with a fly swatter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He I've heard something that. Wrong, he wants to smash you. Yeah, and yet Jesus was asked this question in the upper room. Uh, 
he said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what that tells me is that God is compassionate. The Father is compassionate. He does love. Throughout the Old Testament, you know, he says that my people, the the Hebrew Jews, I'll be a father to them. And so when we start to see this, that God is all about relationship. Yep. You know, that Jesus is there. We can see this compassion. Amen. What I tell people is that if you have this picture of God as a big ogre, you know, somebody who's really going to hurt you, you need to look at Jesus. Jesus, who is compassionate and loving and caring and stern. Okay. But when we come through this, what we can do is when, when this stuff comes along, we take a snapshot, we take out the stuff that's negative, put in the stuff we see at Jesus, and right. we can relook at what God is all about Amen. as the Father. And I think it makes it a lot easier to become what he wants us to be. I Amen. mean, obviously, when I look at you in your life, you know, it's pretty amazing. And, and it's only praise to God. Yeah, I mean, and I'll never get over it. You know, I tell people, if you got over what Jesus has done, you might got the wrong Jesus because I, I ain't ever going to get over it. I'm 68, mm-hmm. and uh, so age is not a gauge. That's the other deal. Um you know, 80s looking hot is what I tell people. <laughs> but bottom line is it's all about your heart. It's a heart issue. Yeah. And so if you read Second Chronicles 16:9, he says, I, the Lord, go to and fro this earth looking for a heart that is fully committed to me. And we're half-hearted people. It's all or none. Yeah. It's all, it's all. Caleb says this, or this is what we came up, never give up, never give in, and never let go. Amen. That is so good. Well, it's such a pleasure today to be with you. It really is. Yeah, um, I've had a good time. Yeah, this is great. Um, well, we're at the end of our show, and I really, really hope and pray that not only will you watch this entire show, that you'll share it, and um, it, it's really good. Thank you for joining me today, and have a wonderful week, and aloha from The Believer's Journey. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.